Recovery Elevator, episode 371. I don't need you. you you're not going to control me anymore. I have better things in my life that, that are going to run me now. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill. Thank you so much for joining us today. On today's podcast, we have Cindy. She's 52 years old. She's from California and took her last drink on June 29th, 2021. Listeners, registration for our flagship annual retreat held in Bozeman, Montana, August 10th through the 14th, opens this Friday, April 1st. This event, held in the pristine forests of the Big Sky Country of Montana, is all about having fun connecting, and learning the tools needed to be successful on your alcohol-free journey. We're going to be doing a lakeside barbecue, ecstatic dance, silent meditation, meditations where the music is performed live. We've got guest speakers, an open mic, and more. All of these activities with others who have also reached the conclusion that alcohol no longer has a place in their lives. Go to recoveryelevator.com forward slash Bozeman for more information. Link is in the show notes. Thank you, Liz. Now, I do want to mention that registration opens up one day early for Cafe Area members only. So if you really want to attend this event, it might be a good idea to join a private community, Cafe Area first. Okay, now let's hear from an amazing sponsor where I currently use one of their products on a daily basis. Founded in Northern California, the team at Cala Ukulele has been designing and building ukuleles for over 15 years. Today... Kala is the most popular ukulele brand in the world. Kala's mission is to create affordable and high-quality ukuleles at every price point. The ukulele is super fun and fulfilling. Anyone can learn. And if you don't believe me, you can always ask Paul. This instrument has a remarkable ability to keep you feeling calm, centered, and rejuvenated as you learn, grow, and pursue your life in sobriety. If you're interested in learning more about Kala, their instruments, and even get free lessons and tips on how to play the ukulele, then head over to Kala's website. You can also use our link, kalabrand.com forward slash elevator, for 15% off on your first purchase at Kala. That's kalabrand.com forward slash elevator. Okay, let's get started. Here's a fun quote for you. We do survive every moment after all, except the last one. This is from John Updike. Here's another fun line for you from Bob Marley. Every little thing is going to be all right. Let me say that again, listeners. Every little thing is going to be all right. My addition to this masterpiece is keep moving forward. And then let's connect another quote. This one from Winston Churchill. When you're going through hell, don't stop. Okay. So I want to thank Odette for an amazing intro last week. In fact, of the 371 intros that we have on this podcast, last week's was one of my favorites, without a doubt. If you haven't heard it, please go back and do so since I cover some of her points in this episode. First off, Odette covers that she slipped last December. To that, I say no big deal, and thank you for showing us what honesty, vulnerability, strength, and courage looks like on this journey. You're still a level 10 rock star in my book. That hasn't changed a bit. Okay, so Adette then says recovery will never end. For some, I know that was a gut punch, but it shouldn't be. 
Recovery, as Russell Brand says, is recovering the person you are meant to be or being the most authentic version of yourself. This isn't a practice you want to end. It's not a checkbox or, or a to-do list item because if you stick with it long enough, you're going to start enjoying this work. You might even be the person in the meeting one day who says, hello, my name is Rick and I'm a grateful alcoholic. When I first heard that, I wanted to punch Rich in the goat blocks, but now I get it. Odette also talked about success in recovery. So what is success in recovery? In the accounting world, there's something called GAP, or generally accepted accounting principles, and I can't believe I remember that from freshman year financial accounting, which I did not do well in. In the recovery world, there isn't a generally accepted definition for what success in recovery looks like. Now, I'm sure many of you AA peeps are saying, hang on a second, Pablo. Yes, there is. It's called continuous sobriety. They give chips for the milestones. To that, I say you've got a great point, and I love AF birthdays just like everyone else. If I'm blessed enough, I'll hit eight years AF this September. However, I don't think success or failure in the most important endeavor of your life should be defined by someone else. I want you to think about this for a moment. So many of us have success or failure tied to a clock or time. And the interesting thing about time, as Einstein discovered, is that it doesn't exist. And it's quite a believable illusion. Don't get me wrong. Continuous sobriety time for me is important. I do not want to reset that clock. But if I do, will it all be a failure? Hell no. Here are some other interpretations of success in sobriety. I got my job back. I got my wife or husband back. I got my dog back. I got my sleep back. I got my mornings back. I got my driver's license back. I got my hobbies back. I got my health back. I got my mental clarity back. I got my mental health back. Do you see a trend here? Alcohol is truly shit. Here are some more. I paid rent or my mortgage this month. I'm planning for the future. I don't have crippling anxiety anymore. I'm not tied to a bottle or worrying if that bottle is empty. I have money in my bank account again. And side note, you want to hear something cool? According to the Recovery Elevator Sobriety Tracker, which is now back on the iTunes App Store, I've saved over $65,000 since I quit drinking. Holy shit. So all of these are legit definitions for success in recovery. And here's another one that I recommend you put on the top of that list. In fact, in my book, this is the most important one. And that is being okay with who you are in this moment. It's hard work, it's tough, but you can do it. And the key word there was in this moment, as in the moment you find yourself in right now. Ask yourself that question. While you're listening to this podcast episode right now, are you okay with yourself? Now, the reason why this one is so challenging is because it goes against the way that we currently live or the way we've been conditioned to live in society. So this is tough because it's unconditional not transactional. It doesn't hinge on if you do something or log a certain amount of time away from alcohol, then you'll be a success, right? Now, page 417 of the big book of AA summarizes this perfectly. So I want you to ask yourself this question. What is success in recovery for you? And don't let me define it for you. I want you to define it. Why are you quitting drinking? As Odette said in last week's episode, it prevents her from being her best self. She had a great line. She said every time she drank, she felt like she was walking away from herself and not towards herself. So listeners, I want you to put pen to paper with this one. 
Dedicate some time to this because it's important. Very important. Maybe get colored pencils, construction paper, what's up vision board. When defining this, keep in mind the colossal opportunity that lies in front of you. So why are you quitting drinking? And then get clear on the success parameters. Again, I think placing loving yourself and being okay with yourself in this very moment at the top of that list is a very good idea. And if you chop away at that one for a while, the continuous sobriety component should fall into place on its own. Odette also mentioned that she felt like an imposter at times. Odette, when I look at my parameters for what success and sobriety looks like, you are not an imposter at all. You're an embodiment of what we talk about on this podcast. Last episode, you exemplified this perfectly about what honesty and sobriety looks like. Thank you. Another thing she mentioned, that being a public voice in recovery has been hard, that it's added some pressure. Now, I get that one for sure, but here's one thing that has helped me with this. Now, I give every intro and episode my best, my full effort to the listener, but at the end of the day, myself, Chris, or Odette, we can't tell you how to quit drinking. That's for you to figure out. All we can do is tell you what worked for us and give you some pointers and ideas to explore. As the Buddha said, we must all become our own shamans. It's up to you to learn your song again, to discover or to rediscover that song and find out what fills you and your soul up. Okay, and before we hear from Cindy and Odette, let's hear from a better way to get help. Let's hear from BetterHelp. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is the best online therapy option that currently exists on the market. Mental health matters, and as we continue to live through these stressful times, it has become more and more evident that we need to have someone that can help us process our emotions and navigate the challenges of sobriety. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. BetterHelp provides a broad range of expertise, which may not be locally available in many areas. The platform is super easy to navigate as you can log into your account at any time and send a message to your counselor. You'll get a timely and thoughtful response. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions with your counselor. BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. You all know that I'm a big proponent of therapy, so I highly recommend you check it out. Simply visit betterhelp.com forward slash elevator. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, and join everyone that is taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Recovery Elevator listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com forward slash elevator. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com forward slash elevator. Thank you, Paul, for a great introduction once again. And Recovery Elevator, please help me welcome Cindy to the show today. Cindy, how are you? I'm wonderful, Odette. How are you today? I'm wonderful as well. Thank you so much for asking. And let's get right to it. When was the last time you had a drink? My last drink was, I can't remember if it's exactly June 28th or June 29th, but my sobriety date is July 1st. So coming up on nine months. And how are you feeling? Oh, just so good. So much better than before. 
And before we get to your story and your relationship with alcohol, Cindy, can you let us know just a little bit about yourself? You know, where you're calling in from? What do you do? What are your hobbies? What does your life look like? Sure, absolutely. So I'm uh, I'm Cindy. I grew up um, not too far from you. I grew up in Torrance, California. I moved out here to Denver in 2003. I am a treatment coordinator at a small private dental office. Um, as far as family, it's just my husband and I, Scott, and our dog and our cat. And for fun, we like to hike, play puzzles, um, and we're really just kind of homebodies. So it's uh, we just like to spend a lot of good time together. I love that because both you and I love pets and puzzles. So you're in oh, good yes. company. <laughs> well, great, 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 great. I love staying at home and my husband is a total opposite. So we've had to kind of find a balance because I just, I just want to be home all the time. Yeah, I do. <laughs> you know what? Home is just my, my, my safe and, and my happy place, you know, especially with, uh, with what we've been through. It's just, uh, it's just good to be home and warm and with somebody that, you know, has your best interest at heart. And that's my husband. So I love that. That's wonderful. Yeah. And Cindy, yeah. Tell me a little bit about why you're here, you know, give listeners some background on your history with drinking. When did you start drinking? How did that relationship with alcohol progress? And what got you here with us? What got you to quit? Sure. So um, like most people on the podcast um, that I've been listening to for the past several years, um, it started very, very young. Yeah. You know, my, my very first time drinking uh, I was 16, December 23rd. I remember the date and um, I just got blackout drunk, but I wasn't one of those people who said, oh my God, I was so sick. I'm never going to do it again. You know, I loved it. I loved the way it made me feel. And, you know, it was, it was gung ho from the very beginning. Um, and, you know, I, um, through the, over the years, I always drank. And I would always admit, I, I can't be an alcoholic because you have to deny that you have a problem. And I always admitted I had a problem. So I couldn't be an alcoholic. Always, always was the first one drunk. I was always the most drunk. Um, and it was just what we did. You know, we, we grew up in a party atmosphere and it was just always part of our life. You know, fast forward 30 something years to being 40, 48, 49. And, uh, you know, I had a very successful 32 or so years of drinking under my belt. But I think my story really preaches to the progression of the disease because I had all of those not yet. You know, I, I did get two DUIs back in the 1990s when I was 21 and 24. But, you know, I never had. I never lost a house. I never lost a, a job because of my drinking. I never lost a, a, a family member, you know, knock on wood. I would never was in a car accident, but you know, I just, I just, we drank, we worked and that's what we did. In retrospect, I never really had those things to lose, which was probably a lot due to my drinking. But, uh, you know, in my early forties, I met my now husband and we got married five years ago. So we got married pretty late in life. And uh, once, once I moved in with him after we got married, uh, the drinking really, really ramped up. You know, I, I was always trying to fill that void. I had the abusive father and all that, you know, the same stuff that a lot of people have, but you never really realize that that is the root of, of your, of your problem. Uh, Dr. Gabor Mate, listening to him um, has given me a lot of answers 
to why I behaved the way I did my whole life, you know, and then again, back to the, the progression of it. Um, you know, I was always, again, I never missed work. I never, I was very, very, very blessed, very lucky. God was watching out for me my, the whole time. But uh, eventually, you know, it got to where it was after a couple of years of marriage, it got to where it was being a problem um, to where my husband was, oh, you're drinking again, right? You know, and then it slowly just started progressing. Those nevers started happening, you know, a couple of years ago. So I guess I've been on my sober journey for about two and a half, three years now. It took me that long, just not even quite nine months, but it it was around Christmas time and I was hanging up instruments, hanging up ornaments, which you do when you drink, right? Around Christmas time. And my husband came home and had said, you know, oh, you're drinking again. Well, I'm like, well, of course I am. It's Saturday. He turned around and walked out. So that was, that was kind of the first sign that there was going to be trouble. So not long after that, we decided I did need some help. So I tried IOP, which was a very expensive waste of time. Uh, didn't really do much. I wound up drinking on the way home from IOP. So that's when I started really thinking, okay, I've, I've got a problem. Um, and there were some other, other telltale signs, um, such as I've, I've always been a babysitter and I never would drink when I was babysitting. And here I was drinking and driving around with, uh, other people's children in my car. So that was, that was another sign. Um, it came to where a couple of summers ago, my husband kicked me out of the house. He had bought me a breathalyzer to try and, you know, keep some control over my drinking. Um, He thought I was drinking and I told him, no, of course I wasn't. He went into my purse to get the breathalyzer and he found a couple little double shots of Jim Beam. Um, That next morning, he said, one of us has to go. So I happily packed up my stuff and went to a hotel and didn't go to work for three days, didn't call anybody, basically lost three days of my life that I don't remember. By the grace of God, made it home, still had a job, still had a husband, stepped up the trying to work, uh, trying to uh, work on the drinking a little bit more. December of last, not last year, December, 2019. I had a really, really bad drunk. I proceeded to call my boss's ex-wife a lot of really bad names. And that was on December 23rd. On December 24th, I decided this is really, really bad. Um, I walked into my first AA meeting. And then from there, I continued going to, to AA meetings, but I wasn't quite done. I, uh, I drank again around Valentine's day of 2021. And then, uh, my husband left on Sunday, on Monday morning for work. And I did not see him again until the following Friday. So that was surely it. That was going to be as low as I go. Right. But no, I, uh, I tooled along in uh, AA um, and then I had my last little binge at the end of June. And again, uh, I lied about it because that's what alcoholics do. We're ashamed of our behavior. So we lie and we sneak and we steal. And uh, basically my husband was like, I don't know what to do. He said he didn't want to live like this. He can't live like this, but he knows he can't help me. So I had to, 
I had to do some serious soul searching and I decided to go about AA, but completely differently. My first sponsor fired me after my second relapse. I found a new sponsor and I've really given given into the fact that I really can't control this. Oh, by the way, um, for the first time in my life, that last drinking binge, I woke up and was drinking at three o'clock in the morning. So work time came around on Monday morning and I couldn't go to work because I was drunk and sick. So I had to call my boss again and tell him that I relapsed and I wasn't coming to work and I missed another two days of work. But that, that was it. That was enough to show me the progression. You know, what happened over the last two and a half years scares the crap out of me because it was going down such a dark road. And I was about to do all those things that I hadn't done yet. You know, I, I had passed out in my car and slept in a grocery store parking lot for about an hour. You know, just all these things that hadn't happened yet were happening. I was about to lose my job. I had to sign a contract that if I lost any time of work or any production of work due to drinking, I was fired on the spot. And I've been here for 13 years. My husband was about to walk out. So I was going to lose him. I was going to lose the home that we built. It was, it was just going. And it finally hit me that it's true. I am an alcoholic. I don't have control over it. And I've got to, I've got to do something to quit. And um, that's, that's where I was about nine months ago. And God willing, I'm holding strong and, and just feeling so much better. Oh my gosh, Cindy, thank you so much for your vulnerability and just openness. You know, there is this way about how you are sharing that is just very direct. And I, I really appreciate it. I know it hasn't been easy. And I think you're really touching on so many important things. One of them being like, you know, for many of us, we tend to be high functioning. We got it under control. And that stage can stretch out so many years. You know, you said you had 30 something successful drinking yes. years where that phase is able to become such a long chapter in our journey that is basically only fueling our justification for later because then oh, if yeah. you try to equate, you know, this is how long I was in control. This is just for now, or I, our brain plays very intense mind tricks on us, but I do feel like there's this very important distinction to make. And it seems like you were able to catch it where the end of the spectrum at where you were at flipped. And before you know it, the chapter where you felt in control was feeling so much on the opposite end of in the direction that you were going. And, and that is scary because I do feel like once the wheels start falling off, then the progression becomes exponential and it just everything starts happening quicker. You said, so you know, quickly. I was surprised at how quickly things were getting darker. So it's so scary because you never know when you're going to cross that line. I remember my father telling me once, like, I don't know when I walked in to that darkness. And once I walked in from it being just a habit and part of my lifestyle and yada, yada, once I walked past that line, I, I couldn't go back. I have some questions regarding you mentioned that incident with you insulting your boss's wife and how that was a big wake up call for you. Previously, your husband had made some mentions. How would you react whenever he mentioned it? Were you angry about it? Were you in denial? You know, what was the internal dialogue before you had your own moments of realization that it may have been a problem? Yeah. You know, I've, I've never really 
been in denial. Like I said, I've always known that I drink too much and seeing my husband in, in tears, you know, and not even just my husband, my new husband, you know, he, he had told me that if we lived together before we did not live together, he said, if he knew how much I drank, he wouldn't have married me. And, you know, that just cut me to the soul, of course, because I thought I was so much more than this girl who liked to drink and party, but um, I, I never got mad. I was always, you know, open to, at a very early age, I've taken responsibility for myself and my actions or so I thought. And so, you know, I never, I was never defiant with him. I, I admitted that I needed help, but it was easy to say and not easy to do. I, I, I knew how to say all the right things, but when it came to me being on my own and no one watching, that's when I, I did not follow through with what I wanted and with what we wanted for ourselves. So no, I, it never caused a huge argument. That being said, he kicked me out for a week and then he left for a week. So that probably avoided some bloodshed, but, uh, but no, I, I never, I never got defiant. I was never in denial. But I also hadn't stepped over the fence to be really willing to get the help I needed either. Yeah, that's that's what I wanted to ask as well. You know, were you hard on yourself for not arriving into action sooner? Like, how was it seeing your husband being so sad and having all these feelings about it? You weren't defiant, but did you struggle with any shame or sense of defeat knowing like, man, I do drink too much? Definitely. And, and, and I, I, you know, I still do, you know. In one of the other programs, you write your little list of resentments and, uh, man, I keep coming back to myself. So yes, my, my sponsor tells me I am very hard on myself, but I think back of all the wasted time, the wasted relationships and the wasted money over my life. So there's definitely shame in there. And then, you know, I think back to what I would do to get the alcohol and, you know, putting it in my boob and my bra stopping, you know, I would stop to, instead of buying, you know, a pint of uh, Jim Beam, which was my poison, I would buy shots and double shots so I can stash them all throughout my body. You know, it, it, it is very shameful. People mock it and, and, you know, we try and make it as light as we can, because that's one of the ways that I think we have to deal with it. But it very shameful, um, very sad, very disappointed in myself because I know that I was capable of so much more. And if I could have some of those moments, some of those relationships back, what, what would my life have been, right? I'm just really, you know, proud of the fact that you were able to, you know, show up at AA, even if you weren't done and then go back, you know, the revisiting of the path sometimes is what it takes. And I have a question because I've had to discover this answer for myself when I have slipped and in the answer has lied a lot of the healing. Did you ever question or find or found out why after not drinking for a while you would go back to drinking? Do you know why you go back to drinking? There's I have a few different thoughts on that. Um, some of it is part, I think it's, it's just ingrained in me. Um, you know, I would <clears throat> sitting here in my office at three o'clock on a daily basis, it would just turn over to being, okay, it's almost time to drink. And, and you know, and I, I would tell my husband, I told my sponsor, I'm like, it's just, it's just who I am. I don't know how to not 
be a drinker. You know, it's, it's been part of my life for so long that that's just what I do. Um, and then there's, you know, there's, there's your ego and your pride of not, not being able to really let it go. You're still trying to, I'm still trying to, you know, hang on to a little bit of control. You know, I, I can do this. Screw everybody else. Everybody else gets a relapse. I want my relapse. And, um, and, and, you know, so there's the defiance there that maybe I still can have some control or a little bit of a rebel that you all are not going to tell me that I'm never going to drink again. Mm -hmm. I'll show you. And yeah, so I think between those two things, and then also just such an overwhelming physical craving, you know, you get that pit in your soul that you want it, you need a drink to, to fill it and calm it down. And, you know, battling all of those things, all of those senses coming at you, it's very, very hard to do on your own. And so eventually I gave in. It is so hard to come into the acceptance of what you're saying of, you know, I, I can't keep running away. I have to confront it. It basically boils down to that and having to sit through it. Uh, obviously, cravings are extremely hard. And for people that are having a hard time stringing days, I, I've been there. Yeah. But but actually staying with yourself, for me, has resulted in being so much harder. You know, like sometimes for me, drinking is the, e the easy way out. You know, I, I feel like I'm not capable of handling life without it. Like it's it's so crazy and and, and very defeating. But I feel like for me, it has taught me a lot of what I'm capable of doing and how I don't have to, you know, lie to myself or betray myself. It's such like an internal it is. relationship. Yeah. Right. And once you, once you realize what you're worth and what your loved ones deserve and what you deserve, I think once you can reconcile that in, in your heart and in your spirit, then, then the, the devil, the alcohol releases a little bit of control be, because you're winning the battle against him. You know, you're, you're, you realize I don't need you. you you're not going to control me anymore. I have better things in my life that, that are going to run me now. Um, you know, I have a higher power. I have a new employer. You're not, the alcohol is not going to rule my world anymore, but you know, you've got to, you've got to use those tools and, and, you know, stay present and, uh, you know, just battle minute by minute to, to maintain it. Yeah. So I want to know what happened, you know, come July 1st, did you recommit to AA? What was your process going yeah. into this stand that you're currently on. Right. And you know, what's, what's interesting is even though I did have my two relapses, I literally did not miss a meeting because, right. you know, well, it, I don't know if it's nice or if it's just ego, you know, like I have to look good. <laughs> I can't let these people know that I'm losing the battle. Um, and, you know, I just, it, I, I did not enjoy the drink at all. It was, it was just useless. It was a waste of time. I felt like shit excuse me, I felt like poop for a couple of days after. And, you know, it just, it wasn't worth the sneaking around. And, and um, I, I guess I just had to do it just one more time. 
just to, to prove to myself that I don't need it. I did not, there was nothing beneficial out of it. I didn't enjoy the drunk. I didn't, it's not like I went out and had a good time. I drank by myself at home. There was, there was just no, nothing positive out of it. And, and I think I have finally reconciled that that's what it is. There is nothing, there is nothing positive in drinking for me. There's no reason to do it. And yeah, it's just, it it was just, it was finally something clicked. Um, You know, the, the embarrassment of being fired by my sponsor was, was uh, quite humbling. And, you know, she said that she just can't help me. And I'm like, well, crap, if you can't help me, then who can? And then I'm like, you know what, Cindy, you have to help yourself first, and then you can let other people in to help you. And yeah, so, so, you know, I don't know exactly what it was, but something switched and it it was, it was finally time for me to let, let it go. I'm really grateful that that, that day came for you, you know, all of our journeys are different, but so grateful. And what was helping you other than AA get through those reps and still, I mean, nine months is a lot of time, but it's also still early. It's funny, the the concept of time, it's still, so did you have to make any changes in your day to day, you know, any, any pivots in your lifestyle? How were those adjustments? Yeah, yeah. And you know, and and I'm still I'm still going through the adjustments. Um, One of them uh, is, it's kind of silly, but um, I love, you know, I, I wake up early, I work hard, by the time I get home, I'm exhausted. Um, I would love to just go downstairs. Our, our master bedroom is in, in, in our downstairs um, area and, um, and I, I isolated. And you know what they say, isolation is the opposite of connection and connection and addiction, you know, those, those sayings. Um, so I literally, I would go downstairs at like six or six 30 and not have any communication with my husband. Before, when I was drinking, I was doing it so I could go drink. But after I was drinking, I was like, I can't just go down there. I'm leaving myself open to so much negativity that I can bring on to myself. Um, so yeah, that was one of the things that I changed is I don't go downstairs at night by myself anymore. I stay up with my husband and we talk and watch TV and have dinner. Um, so that was, a, that was actually a really large adjustment. I don't, I don't put myself in positions where I'm going to be tempted. I, you know, I I don't need to go out to the bars and the clubs and what have you. Um, My husband doesn't drink. And so it's easy. It's easy for us to stay home and not drink together. And then, uh, you know, I go to AA meetings pretty much, pretty much on a daily basis. Um, You know, my first several months I was going two times, you know, two meetings after, after work, I would leave for work at five, five thirty six in the morning and not get home till almost eight. Um, because after work, I went to two AA meetings, but instead of drinking, I had to do something. And so, you know, the AA meetings were it. So that, that shifted, but, you know, basically the, as far as doing stuff. I I just, I don't put myself in positions to where I'm going to feel tempted. I know some, someday I'll have to, but for now I I don't have to. And, and that's huge. Um, And then just being, being more active and being more present with my husband is also, is also really huge. And um, I'm actually doing the program you know, with my sponsor, I'm, I'm not just bullshitting my way through it. I'm actually doing the work. So that's new this time around as well. And then as always listening to my podcasts, you know, I've been listening to the RE podcast 
since the beginning of Paul's journey. And, um, and I'm convinced that if not finding RE and being turned on to it, I don't know if I would even be where I am now because it definitely lit the fuse under me, even though it took several years for that fuse to turn into a flame. Um, so I'm so thankful for that. You know, I love that you shared that you would go to two meetings. I, I know that there are a lot of opinions about meetings, some good ones, some not so good ones, right. so many overall across the board. But basically, you touch on an extremely important point, which is especially at the beginning, how do I stay busy during those yes. hours where I normally would be drinking? So exactly. I have a buddy who was just trying out meetings and he said, you know, I don't know what I thought about it. And then we were kind of going back and forth as to whether it's not a good fit. And I, 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 I was like, you know what, we got to keep it simple. If going to that meeting, no matter if you have a blast or not, is going to keep you away from your routine right now, then yeah. who really so I was like, I'm sorry, but who really cares if you think it's the perfect meeting or not? So long as it's kind of getting this habituation of whatever you used to do after work, changing that up for something exactly. different, even if you're using the meeting as a distraction, I think exactly. it's an amazing like hack at the beginning because we are so habituated to just having these routines, especially yeah. during the week where if you were someone who drank right after work, it's so hard and stressful and only adds like a level of resentment at the beginning because you're then you're like at home and what am I supposed to be doing and it, exactly. it's tough yeah so I think that's really smart that you kind of double up um sometimes even just to kind of block that time off and yeah exactly yeah yeah you know they I when I went on on December 23rd I asked you know they said okay well we're having a meeting on on Christmas Eve I said oh great and I asked one of the old timers oh is there a meeting on Christmas day and he said well did you drink on Christmas day I said yes he goes well we'll be here on Christmas day mm -hmm. and so that that year that was my highlight because my husband and I were very stressed so my highlight was going to the AA meeting <laughs> on Christmas day, but, but it was there when I needed it. And that's, that's what, that's what I needed. So I was glad it was open. The doors were open for me. How has the journey since you stopped drinking um, been for your husband? Cause I'm sure a lot has changed and there's that other side of the coin and he doesn't drink. So, um, has he shared how he's felt in the last nine months? Oh, he, he's so happy. He's just, he's lighter and he's fluffier. And, uh, and, you know, A, I was just so blessed to find him so late in life, but B for him to have, you know, he, he, he has said that he wouldn't have married me if he knew and that he can't live this way. But after my last relapse, he also said, you know, Cindy, I love you. You're my wife. I'm not going anywhere but you've got to do something about this. And so, you know, he's, he's been number one. And then also with what's huge, and I don't mean to keep circling back to AA, but obviously it's a huge force in my life, especially right now, um, is that we go to open meetings together. And he has said, um, he has gotten more out of going to those open AA meetings and hearing other people's stories that has opened his eyes that it's not just me. It's not a choice. It really is, is a disease. And so he's, he's learning a lot as well. You know, we, we sit down and we listen to podcasts together and we read the literature together. And so he, you know, he's right there in the trenches with me, um, but he, he's happy. He's proud of his wife. You know, he wears his ring proudly. And for that, I'm, I'm just blessed and happy. He sounds wonderful. He so is. tell him I say hello. And also I, I think 
there's this fine line of him being able to differentiate and vocalizing that to you of, you know, I have my boundaries. If you if you keep doing a certain way, I can't continue going this way. Exactly. And also, I'm committed to you. I am not going anywhere, but something has to change. Like that is a definition of love, in my opinion, because it's holding you accountable. And it is kind of also squashing that shame and fear of rejection and fear of abandonment that all a lot of us addicts already basically come with to where basically by him not saying that then you're just basically reinforcing that narrative about yourself so i think that was really caring of him to share kind of how his opinion changed it was more of a boundary versus a you know sometimes we just we feel the worst of ourselves especially when we're in the behavior and we feel like we don't deserve you know right Right. And, you know, and I'm not saying with my husband that it's been easy. You know, I make it sound like uh, there haven't been rough times and there has. And, and I and I hold a resentment for my husband for a couple of different reasons. And so it, it's, it's not easy, um, but we have to look at the big picture together and, you know, uh, things you can work through. I, you know, I, I'm resentful of him because if he wants to have a drink, he can, mm-hmm. um, you know, and uh, he can go to these social situations and, and not be bothered, whereas I can't. And so there's, there's definitely, you know, there's definitely things that the alcohol has still has a grip on, but we're working on it, you know, and, and we have the rest of our lives to, to get it figured out and, and carry on. So Oh, that's wonderful, Cindy. Yeah, it's it's definitely a family disease, which is oh, why yeah. I have been curious. And thanks for being open about his involvement and his take, because, you know, it it is hard for for the whole ecosystem, whichever, whoever you are sharing time and space with, it just becomes this enmeshment of, of many things. So it, I'm just happy that you don't go downstairs right away, that you guys are spending more time together. And how has other stuff outside of your relationship with him manifested since this recommitment to your sobriety, what has improved? Sure. So my, you know, again, I've been with my job. I'm I'm a a treatment coordinator. I'm at a dental office. I've been in dentistry, gosh, since 1989. Um, I've been here at this job for 13 years. And um, it's, you know, so this is my family away from my home, of course. And uh, in the last nine months, my coworkers have seen a change in me that I'm, I'm nice. They're not afraid to come and ask me for help. They're, you know, I, I was really basically just the bitch of the office. And a lot of people didn't like me that I worked with. And, and I knew it, but I didn't really care. I didn't think I needed them. Um, but, but I do need them, you know, and I do need to be respectful with them because I can't do my job without them and they can't do, you know, their job without a little input from me sometimes. And since I've gotten my head clear, I I can recognize that and I can be humble and patient. And, um, and I've been told, uh, that they see the difference in me. Um, my office manager is such a great resource. She's actually in recovery herself from Mm. a, from a different addiction. But, you know, she is constantly reassuring me and we're we're able to have the discussions because she's been there. And so I think just, just in general, I'm just calmer, you know, and, and thank God my boss, you know, such a good guy who any other boss would have, would have fired me. 
but he believes that he knows the heart of me and the heart of me is not that alcoholic. And, uh, and so he, he's given me the chance to, to start over and, uh, and we're doing great, you know, business is great. My patients are wonderful and, um, you know, there's still hard times just like with everything else, but, uh, I'm just, I'm just calmer and more peaceful, more approachable. Um, I don't snap as much as I used to, I'm still a little grumpy, but, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, but no, I, and I think my coworkers appreciate it, which is, which is really cool. I love to hear that just those types of changes that are more manifestations of our character and, you know, that awareness that you've come to build within yourself of like letting yourself be different and seeing how it really did affect some more than, than you thought maybe. So, Oh yeah. It's ridiculous how, how it manifested itself in negative energy in your life. And you don't know until you're able to step away from it. And, um, you know, other than AA meetings, you said podcasts, any other tools that have been instrumental in your journey? Uh, you know, you know, yeah, like the the Recovery Elevator podcast and a, a lot of other um, podcasts, the AA meetings. Um, my my coworker that I was just telling you about, who's been through recovery, um, I love that she's just on the other side of the wall from me. And if I'm having a moment um, and my sponsor's not available, I can go to her. So she's just she's a godsend. And then other than that, you know, the reading, of course, I, I read alcoholic shit and I passed it on to uh, some other fellow alcoholics and it's making its rounds, which is awesome. But, uh, you know, prayer, meditation. Now, when I spend time alone, I, I ponder the future and good things. And uh, I, I think that that feeds my soul so that I'm able to carry on the positivity and, you know, just, just luckily I, I just have so many positive things in my life that I can turn to that, uh, that helped to keep me on the straight and narrow. What's difficult right now, Cindy? What is difficult right now? Um, for me, it's humbling myself still, you know, I could, I could admit that I have the problem. I admit that I don't have power over it, but, um, humbling myself on a daily basis, giving it over to my higher power. I still struggle with ego immensely. And I know that once I start taking back control, that's when the negative happens. And that's when I start sliding down that slippery slope, building resentments against people that don't need to be. And uh, that that's all what leads you back into the bottle, I believe. And so uh, keeping myself humble, picking up the phone, asking for help, um, that is that is what I struggle with. That is such a big one. And I am grateful that you shared that because it's, it's hard to admit those things that are still there once we, once we stop drinking and the things that are continuing basically a daily practice, you know, moment by moment. Yeah. Have you been able to identify any triggers? For the longest time, three o'clock would roll around and that would be a huge trigger. Um, I would literally get into my car after work and say, okay, if I turn right, I'm going to the liquor store. If I turn left, I'm getting on the highway and going home. And, and now that's not. So that's, that's really neat that I'm able to get through the afternoon. It's you know time to go home and I haven't thought about drinking. Other triggers might be um, going, going out of town for, for a weekend or so. 
again, I've really kind of avoided putting myself into any situations where I would think I would want to drink. Um, so I'm sure there's a lot more triggers out there. I just haven't come across them yet. Um, I, I'm sheltering myself from them at this point. I'm sure they're there and I'm sure I'll find them. Mm-hmm. But, you know, of course, hearing other people going out over the weekend and and drinking and stuff, it, it brings up a little a little emotion in me that I can't go do that again. Yes, it's that acceptance, acceptance, you know, yeah. Chris, our, one of our other hosts always is reminding me of that lesson. And it's probably the hardest one for me is just acceptance on a daily basis of not just, you know, my disease and my situations, but just other people's behaviors. You know, we are so yes. receptive. Also, when we are sober, we can feel more, we can see more. And, and in a way, it's harder because then, you know, you have to learn to see what are you using, which vehicles, who are you using as a vehicle to project your own stuff? And, you know, and it's so hard. The control thing is really hard for me. Yeah. 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 It's huge. All right, Cindy. Well, we've reached the rapid fire round. So if you can answer these questions in 30 seconds or less, that would be fabuloso. Are you ready? Uh, Let's do it. All right. If you could talk to your younger self, what would you say? If I could talk to my younger self, what would I say? Yes. I would say ah, those people were right. Um, make the right choices. Don't pick up that first drink, you know, when it comes to, to drinking, because the amount of life wasted on it, you can't get it back. You know, it just it, it, do the right thing. One, one step at a time, uh, do the next right thing. Life is going to happen. You've got to accept it. And you, you can, you're, it's not in your control. And so the more you can stay in control, the better off you're going to be. What's your favorite ice cream flavor? Ah, I love Rocky road and mint and chip. <laughs> what book are you reading right now? Right now I am reading living sober, that little yellow book. And I'm still trying to get through sermon on the Mount, but I keep falling asleep. <laughs> Sleep sometimes is exactly what we need. Yeah. <laughs> What are some of your favorite resources or advice you've had on this journey? Um, And again, I know that we've touched on them. Of course, my RE podcasts, um, my AA meeting, uh, other podcasts, uh, you know, thank Paul so much for um, mentioning Dr. Gabor Mate and the, the realm of hungry ghosts, because again, he, I think he's the first person that I've listened to that I'm like, holy crap, this is it. This is what, what I've been needing to hear my whole life that, that it it does stem from childhood. And, uh, and it's, you know, he, he legitimized me, he validated me. So, um, Dr. Gabor Mate is, is a hero of mine. Um, of course, my husband, my family, my friends, my, my coworkers, um, I, I try and draw inspiration um, from, from everywhere because it, it's all out there. You just have to look for it and recognize it. What's your go-to response when someone offers you a drink? You know, luckily I haven't had it happen a whole lot, but I, I have no problem saying I can't drink anymore. I'm in recovery and, and it's just, it, I don't drink and it's, it's fine. Yeah. What parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners who are thinking about ditching the booze? You know, all I have to say is it it really, it's work. It's really, really hard work. Um, And 
it, it comes down to, you know, they say one day at a time. Um, it, for me, sometimes it's one breath at a time and it's, it's work and it, you have to be active in it. It's not something that you can do, you know, during the week and then let it go on the weekends. You have to be active in your participation in your sobriety because um, you're the only one ultimately who really gives a damn about it and can do it. So you, you have to be your number one advocate. Um, you can't let your guard down, you know, you have to, you have to be diligent and, you know, you, who cares if someone doesn't agree with how you're living or, or what you're doing, it, it doesn't matter. You, you have to protect yourself and you have to protect your sobriety. Um, you can't be passive. You, you, again, you have to be active and you have to be present and, um, it's, it's, it's action and it's, it's thinking and it's praying and it's believing, it's all of those elements. And if you miss any of them, or if you let any of them go, it's, it's downward spiral beginning. And, you know, they say, and I believe alcohol is a subtle foe and, and he's, you know, he's to me, alcohol is the devil and he's always right there on my back. And he's just waiting for the moment that I let my guard down and he's going to jump back into my, my ear and into my head. And he's, he wants to win the battle and he wants me to die. And, and I can't let that happen. And so in order for that to not happen, I've got to do all these other things on a consistent basis. And for the rest of my life, you know, you never graduate from, from drinking, you never, you know, finish the program. It's, it's constant and it's forever. If, if that's how you choose to live. Yes. You have to rebuild that relationship. And before we depart, Cindy, can you give listeners your own, you may have to say adios to booze if line. Sure. You may have to say adios to booze. If you are that drunk old lady at the bar that you swore you would never be, and there's a video to prove it. <laughs> Cindy, thank you so much. I'm so glad that you are on this side and you're with us and I'm grateful for you and your honesty. Can't wait to air this. And thank you so much. Thank you, Odette. It was Take a care. pleasure. Yeah, you too. Thank you. Very well, Timari. That wraps up our interview for today. And before I say adios, I want to remind you that your journey is your own. You know, Cindy talked about how her progression was very slow for many, many years, and then it ramped up. And I just want to make sure that you have given yourself a permission slip to recover no matter where you are at on that progression scale, if we can call it that. No matter where you are, no matter what has happened or has not happened in your journey yet, you are in all of your right to decide to change things, to decide to quit drinking, to decide to pursue a better life for yourself. You deserve it. Remember that you're not alone and together is always better. Recovery Elevator. Without the darkness, you would never know the light. I love you guys. Get out of the story. Get out of the story and use the mind to locate the body. Move the energy inside by talking. in a certain direction.
thinking.